And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. So when fans of football teams tell you that their side never does things the easy way, it's common courtesy to just give a little laugh and agree. The truth is, however, that somewhere along the way, their club has done things the hard way. We spend our time forgetting about the times it's been done the easy way and instead build the narrative around the drama. I've got two counterpoints to this. The first is that while it might be true for most teams, there needs to be an exception that proves the rule. Step forward Manchester City, who have historically built their reputation on being interesting rather than successful. So now that they're successful, it's almost too difficult not to be interesting at the same time. Second is a call that the man behind me turned when Kevin De Bruyne played a perfect slide rule pass straight out of play bisecting both Raheem Sterling and the linesman magnificently. I think the Dulux colour chart has it down as something like sumptuous plum. The killer is that while everyone says their team does things the hard way, I think there's only really City fans who can be making the argument in good faith. Are we any closer to being able to understand what happened at the Etihad on Sunday? Let's find out. This is Why Always Us. It's your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm David Mooney. Sam Lee is here sitting through my rather rambly, verbose and over-the-top introduction. Hiya, Sam. Oh, was I? Sorry, was I supposed to be listening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, hello. Dagger to my heart there. All the time I put writing into these things and you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've absolutely no idea how this show's going to look, so... It's going to be fun, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's going to be the exact... like Because obviously we did a quick one after the game the other day and even though it was like a couple of hours after the game, it was still obviously... Still very Mad raw, and, raw yeah. and what, what the hell? Now I don't know. It feels like about two months ago. You know, <laughs> a strange old week. Yeah, well, uh, you can read everything on The Athletic on City and more right now for £1 a month for six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod and sign up. You'll get the podcasts as well without the ads, so just sign up at theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. Um, I'm going to start with a, a much broader overview, Sam. I think I think if we start wide and kind of focus in in the end, yeah. um, I think that's, that's probably a good way to go. Uh, and when I sit down and think about it, um, City have won their fourth title in five seasons instead of it being three in five with two going to Liverpool. And ultimately, when I when I think of it that way, I'm just really, really pleased for Guardiola. Um, he's revolutionised the way that football's been played in England. He's completely changed City, against all against the backdrop of that kind of it-will-never-work-in-England attitude and the Premier yeah. League isn't that easy to crack. Um, 100 points and then 98 points and a domestic treble wasn't enough. And spoiler alert, it wasn't for some people. Um he then had a bad season in 2020, and then all, all of that, all those takes came back of well, you know, you can't do all this sort of thing in England, and it's you know, it's it's not as it's not simple, it's not a simple nut to crack. Um, he then went away and rebuilt the side to to do back to back titles again. Um, after you know the questions being, can he can can Guardiola rebuild sides? Because yeah, is that yeah, a, is that yeah, a yeah. thing he can do? And God, it turns yeah. out he can. Um, and so like oh. now four in five, there's absolutely no doubt that this era of the Premier League is is defined by Pep Guardiola, is there? No, you're right, actually, because obviously the like, in terms of narratives and stuff, last season was a good one because it helped people understand. And look, City, um, they won't, you know, there'll be a lot of people who don't like City and won't ever give them credit in the same way that, you know, a lot of people won't ever give credit to Liverpool or Chelsea or United or whoever happens to be successful. Um, 
But so and like in in those cases, if City just are great from start to finish, which is what City had been for the first two Guardiola titles, everyone was just like, oh well, but it's not very dramatic. And I suppose the the same kind of stuff we saw this season with it's boring and it's not competitive and stuff. But obviously, last season had that narrative of oh they weren't playing very well at the start, and then something happened, something sparked it, and then they were amazing, and then they won. And obviously, that was you know that kind of spark in December of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, just, yeah. That, that was obviously the big thing for last season, but yeah, it's mad that when you think when, yeah, when you do go back and you talk about the narrative of, Oh, he couldn't, he can't rebuild sides. It's not something he's ever done. And Barcelona, this and whatever it, it shows how kind of, how much we kind of rely on those kind of past events as a crutch without kind of taking in into context, the current circumstances but yeah you're right because i remember the talking points around when guardiola you know before he'd signed his contract and even afterwards when they'd still because you know after they signed the contract they went and lost to spurs didn't they in one of those classic kind of 1920 spurs yeah. Games. <laughs> yeah yeah city versus spurs games yeah even though obviously it wasn't 1920 it was a season after and it was still going on and yeah it was at that point i was thinking if he wins two Premier League titles out of four and leaves at the end of what would it have been last season all of a sudden you just get people going oh was it that good And I think we've had these not this debate but I think we've mentioned it on the pod before like people would have been like oh well 100 points yeah and then oh yeah the domestic treble yeah, yeah but, but it you know, all, all nothing after though, that didn't it? Yeah. yeah exactly nothing after that so yeah exactly it just it just yeah, you you mentioning that now it is it is mad really how far they've come in because what would it have been eighteen months really when it when we weren't like we were treading water a bit at the start of that last season weren't we because we were like not really sure this is great but don't it's going go all right all. but yeah it's not not fantastic but, but not, it's not not but I'm awful not convinced. Yeah. and then yeah that 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 turnaround's been fantastic and then I suppose if we're gonna look at everything that's happened since then. Because at the end of last season, when they won it, we'd be like, oh, this was the turnaround and wasn't it great? And what resurgence and 24 wins in a row and all this kind of stuff. But then obviously in the summer, you had that situation where four or five players wanted to go and they weren't particularly happy with their, their playing time and some of them didn't have the best attitudes and stuff. And yet none of them went. They didn't get Kane. And here they are anyway, like <laughs> like one of, one of the best seasons they've ever had. This is, I mean, it's it's just to put it into kind of wider context again, uh, like you say there, they didn't get Kane. They've played, okay, they've had Gabriel Jesus, who, you know, is kind of a striker, but doesn't really play there anymore, that sort of situation all the way through the season. So we, we kind of say they've not had a striker all season. Um, they didn't have any defenders at the end of the season. And... They've held they've they've held their nerve to 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 hold on to the title, and it's the it's the second time in the last fourteen years uh, that the title has been retained, and both of them have been by City, and both of them have been by Guardiola's City. Like that that's that it just all adds up to to show what Guardiola is doing at the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like I, I I've got no more words to say in terms of that because you know I've always I've always praised Guardiola, I've always said how good he is, and I've tried to. You know, in the context of oh well, there's loads of money, so what to expect? And it's it's becoming boring, and there's there's no competition or whatever. I've always kind of tried to fight against that and say, how, like, and just kind of highlight Guardiola's achievements and how good it is and how difficult it is to to play like this and and to 
to have the consistency. And I, you know, I still maintain that um, to the extent that I don't, I don't really know where to go with it. Like to the extent that now I'm like, like you said a minute ago, there can't be any argument now, can there? That that he's brilliant, and you know, the the Premier League recent era has been defined by Guardiola and his teams, and and obviously, look, the the players because as we know from last season with the with the situation with them leaving you know it wasn't the happiest dressing room in terms of United behind the manager but in terms of United for each other and being a group obviously the the players they've got as well is fantastic and obviously that then goes to to show the work that City have done when like recruiting players like because you can you can spend loads of money on players that don't have the right attitude and don't fit in but you know City always seem to obviously it's not always because there, there's examples of players that haven't worked out but they always seem to get just the right mix of of human beings really and i think they know coming in that they're not going to play every game it's still a bit of a a shock for some of them when they don't but at the end of the day it's that old cliche and it sounds like it's it's nothing but it's true if you're not if you if you're a player and you're happy not playing then you know you know you're not really got the right attitude so just the way that they've managed to bring in the right people and the way that they've been managed where okay, they're not all best mates with the manager, but it doesn't matter because when the chips are down, they do what they need to do on the pitch. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's... You know, barring, you know, that Real Madrid kind of miracle. It's, you know, it's it was a, a, another great season of, overall. But um, yeah, like, the, and that's that's the thing about Sunday, isn't it? All the stuff when they, when they were 2-0 down and... You're thinking, oh god, the Everest stuff about mentality and that fucking Slatan Ibrahimovic <laughs> quote is going to be everywhere again in the morning. The biggest load of shite ever I've ever seen. And he's just thinking a two nil down. It's just going to be absolutely unbearable. Yeah. Um, yeah, all, yeah, all of that talk, and then obviously you don't need that talk because they did bang, show bang, the mentality. Bang. They did show the character. And again, there's there's just no no denying it now. There's no there there can be no debate. I'm sure yeah. there you know I'm sure there will be. I've seen people talking about Jose Mourinho now being a better manager than, than Guardiola. And, you know, questions about is he still above Guardiola in terms of all-time Premier League managers? Like, what is what is everyone doing? <laughs> what is everyone doing? A yeah. third-rate European competition with a third-rate team. And and now all of a sudden he's the European finals master again. Ah, fantastic. Yeah. Um Let's talk specifically about Sunday then, Sam, because, um, well, I mean, not necessarily specifically about Sunday, but but kind of um, success and and Guardiola's success. Because um, some would say that I was getting my excuses in early on Sunday, but I did a little thread on Twitter on Sunday morning about how we we talk about success. Um, And I'll come to how I've kind of reconsidered all of that in a little moment. But the premise was this, basically winning or losing on Sunday didn't really define whether City had had a good or a bad season. Um, silverware isn't the be-all and end-all and that City were kind of, you know, as Guardiola says, there um, in all of the competitions. They were allowed the leeway of losing the odd game, which in this instance could have left them with nothing. But, you know, football, the football had been good enough all season to say that City were there, they were competitive. Unlike, for example, I'm going to use that that middle season of the five, uh, 2019-20, um, where they won the League Cup, but the league performance was so far... I mean, it was erratic and just not competitive at all. They were they were hit and miss for, for so many spells in that season that they were just so far off the pace in the end. And yet, we could have got to the end of, of, uh, of this season. City could have lost to Aston Villa on the final day or drawn and Liverpool won. And... Um, 
they could have ended up with with absolutely zero silverware, and it would have been defined as an as an absolute disaster, and yeah, it, would it would have been, have been defined a mass, seen as a massive failure. For sure. Yeah, as a huge failure, and it would have been kind of ranked below that nineteen twenty season when they won the league cup. And I, like I, like the the two seasons are just not comparable for me. Um, yeah, but that's a then. Good point. All of that, that came all the way before the game and I hadn't taken into account the manner in which that they nearly lost on Sunday because that could have changed things somewhat. Like you say, the mentality side of things. If they'd, if that game had finished 2-0, we'd have all been sitting here saying, well, they they just cracked, didn't they, on the, on, on the pressure of the final day. Yeah, they just yeah, did yeah, not yeah. play well at all. And yet the manager comes in, makes three perfect substitutions again and the game completely changes on that. <laughs> It is interesting, isn't it? Because you're right. Like, because obviously when they were two 0 down, I was kind of turning my attention towards what we're going to write at this point. Like, because after the Real Madrid game, I was quite happy to say, and still am quite happy to say, oh, you know, that's football. It's Real Madrid, and, and it can happen. And then, yeah, if I'd have kind of happened, well, that, to, but that, again, that's football. It's Aston Villa doesn't again. really wash, does it? No, it doesn't, does it? But, he, but yeah, and like the way Guardiola said, I don't know if he'd have said it if they'd have lost, but. The way he said, you know, tennis players say that the service to win Wimbledon is the hardest. You know, that's how we felt today. Like there was some kind of mental block thing there, wasn't there? But obviously they overcame it, so it's fine. But yeah, in terms of defining the season and success and stuff, uh, obviously I, I agree. Like it would have been a good season. You're right. It was much more consistent than 1920. Um, just better performances and if they'd have lost out they wouldn't have lost out by much and I suppose and God I'm really wary of the fact I'm not sure this is exactly the podcast people were expecting from us <laughs> um, but like with Klopp winning so Klopp winning those manager of the year awards the other night it's a bit weird because one of them's Premier League manager and it's like well some, somebody did have a better season in the Premier League like I, I saw people like backing it up and I'm not massively against Klopp winning that Um. I've seen people saying, well, you know, they, they won two cups and they're in the Champions League final. But it is the Premier League manager, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's for like performance the, in that competition. If I'm being honest, like I, I wasn't particularly offended by it. No, but not at I, all. I, I do like because I get it. I, I, I do think Klopp is a great manager. But uh, as you say, Guardiola, I think, had it. Well, he did provably have a better season um in terms but, of the premier league in yeah. terms of the premier league the, but i think the, the that interest- there's two other names that i could that i could have bought getting it ahead of ahead of guardiola i would have thought ah, yeah you know what that's all right and that was thomas frank at brentford and yeah. uh, eddie howe for the turnaround at newcastle yeah although i suppose if you thing is if whatever this criteria must be for the premier league one it's obviously some kind of i don't know because if it's just premier league performance then they must be like well he spent more so he can't win it so if that's the case, then Eddie Howe can't get it either. Like that, that must be what it's defined. Yeah. On. We, like we've got awards for the end of the season at the Athletic, and we came to manager, and I didn't vote. I didn't vote for either, and I, f- I forgot Thomas Frank. And I realised after I did it, I thought I should have done Thomas Frank because I thought between Guardiola and Klopp, I can't really split them. Um, so I just thought oh, I'm just going to abstain, basically. Um, in terms of him getting the Alamey Manager of the Year award, I get it because yeah, the, the performance in the other competitions, like they just went a bit further than than City did for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, this just all just goes back to your point about judging success and yeah, the, the you know City City won the the trophy in the manner that they did, and obviously everyone's celebrating and it's fantastic. But if I had gone the other way, it would have been a disaster, and it does just go to show the margins. Whereas all I suppose you can ask for 
when it comes to analysis, obviously not enjoyment, because nobody would have left the Etihad having lost 2-0 to Villa on on Sunday going, oh, you know what, they were bloody consistent. Like, nobody's going to... I get that. But in terms of us analysing it, if, if that had have happened, you're right, it would have been fair enough, I think, to say, well, you know... They've still had a great they, season. They were there, as yeah, Guardiola there. says. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. And just, if, if like I say, I, 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 just, I did think that when I saw some of the... The reaction to Klopp winning it, I was like, "Look, if if City play amazingly but lose, and then we, we say, oh, they, they did play amazingly, you know, you can't slag them off because they they were really good or they were unlucky or whatever." And you've got to give value to the to the to the losers sometimes, even though you know they they didn't get over, even, the even though they lost. It's, yeah, it's got it's got to work both ways. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, um, it's, but yeah, I mean, the Klopp the Klopp thing with the Premier League was slightly odd because obviously they came second and also didn't beat another top four team, so it, like. I'm not saying they didn't have a great season because obviously they did. And overall, they've had a better season than City, I think, in terms of being a point behind um, and won the other two cups, albeit on penalty shootouts. Again, if we're going back to performance indicators and stuff, nil-nil draws, penalty shootouts, fine. But got to the Champions League final as well. You'd have to say overall, they've been there as well. Um, But yeah, in terms of that Premier League performance, um, yeah, just a, a a slightly odd way to... To, to go with that award. Yeah. The, the, um, there is merit yeah. in the silverware thing, though, as well, because, I mean, obviously, if City are there, again, as, as Guardiola says, for five seasons, but win nothing for five seasons, it's not been a good five years. So there is there there is merit in talking yeah. about oh, yeah. talking about it as Cups won and things like that. But it's like... Yeah, I, well, I exactly. just, well, when you win that many trophies over that period of time, there's no other way to look at it. You know, they know... They know what it takes to win and they do it and all, and all that kind of stuff. But it's just... it's It's the line between... It's, it's like I say, it's the analysis. Nobody's leaving the stadium on Sunday if City had a loss going, oh, well, at least we were consistent. Yeah. But when yeah. you analyse it, you just don't have to go to, this was a fucking disgrace. How have City done this? Like, they've been so terrible. Guardiola's a fraud. It's not that. It's yeah. actually, they it, were decent. It's a, but they it's a couple of points. Line, yeah. And it's certainly disappointing. Yeah, exactly. But again, um, maybe we ramp the energy up now and, and talk about how, how bloody mad the the day was and well, i know i've kind of chucked in a kind of uh, a stealthy a stealthy hot take there about liverpool season being <laughs> arguably better but like at the same time i wouldn't I, I wouldn't really expect many city fans to to change it the way that city we all know that most city fans prefer the league anyway and the way that it was all set up and the way that a lot of city fans were either pessimistic or had that bad feeling or were nervous or would so shit scared that Liverpool were going to win the quadruple or whatever the way that that final day panned out I can completely understand if you know City fans would not have changed the league title for the world this season I get that completely yeah the absolute madness about the final day Sam I mean we'll talk about the uh the narratives shortly I'm not a big fan of them but so we'll we'll kind of spend a few minutes kind of destroying them for a second um but the 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 absolute madness about the day was that City were never actually off the top of the table (laughs) yeah 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 I saw some people like I saw a couple of City fans replying to people on Twitter or whatever who were saying it was a day of drama they were like oh what are you on about like Liverpool were never top, and it's like, f- I mean, bending over backwards or what? Because there was fucking dramatic. And I wasn't, I wasn't well, particularly comfortable on seventy minutes. Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, I'm sure everybody in that stadium, because look, you, you know, we were talking after the game, 
about you know there'd have been people in the ground who was convinced city would would bring it back and you just weren't having it you were like no they're liars or whatever uh, i did i did a quick thing on five live on on monday morning and there was a, a lady on called Anne who was a city fan and she was like she was like I think people around her got annoyed because she was like saying, come on, like, we can do it. Like she was trying to like G the fans up to, to, to get behind the players or whatever. So I'm sure there were, there were A- the absolute odd... credit to the, to the producers oh, on yeah. five, on five oh, live for finding <laughs> the single positive city fan. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's like, there, there was obviously a few, a few optimistic city fans dotted about, but I'm telling you, I'm convinced nobody in that stadium was thinking it's right. Wolves will hold on. Like regardless of the fact that Liverpool never went top, everyone knew they were going to win that match, and obviously it, it did need City to come back to do it because Wolves wouldn't have held out, and Liverpool did get their goal and stuff. So that drama was there, and regardless of of whether Liverpool scored on eighty fifth minute or you know the seventy ninth, which would have changed the table. And that's another thing, actually, I've seen from a couple of Liverpool fans suggesting that oh, if we'd scored earlier. You know that that might have finished City off, and I'm like, would it? Like, would could City have got any lower than being two 0 down at home on a day when they need to win? Like, would Liverpool scoring have made any difference to that? I really don't think it would have. I think at two 0 I think all the City's players were going. If we don't score three, we're, we've lost the title. I think. I think they knew. Like, I don't think. I don't think what happened at Anfield really mattered to them. They they they'd have gone into the game. Guardiola has been saying it in the running all the way. Anyway, we know Liverpool are going to win. It doesn't matter if we play first or second. So it doesn't matter if they score first yeah. or second. They're also, I'm score. not sure how. I'm not sure how. Practic- the practicality of that would have been like the stadium was that kind of low and flat anyway how would news of a Liverpool goal have changed the atmosphere in the stadium it wouldn't I'm not sure there would have been a I mean I think knowing it and know- knowing that it had, had have happened and looking around the ground or or being a, a TV operator like you would have spotted it I'm not sure the players would have particularly known that that said how did Anfield think that Villa had equalised that's a good point, actually. I don't, I don't know. know how that happened. Like, I don't know. I was because I heard about that after we did the podcast. We were driving back, and Jack said it had happened, and I was like, "I'm telling you, like, I'm I'm checking my phone before I'm celebrating." And he was like, "Yeah, but the Wi-Fi in the stadium shit." I was like, "I oh, know, I know the Wi-Fi in stadiums is often shit, but what my point is, I'm not celebrating something like that without seeing it with my own eyes." Yeah. Like, how how is that? Sp- Bread in the first place, and how have so many people gone along with it? Yeah, I've seen City holding the ball by the corner flag to safely get relegated, thinking that a point was enough. I'm not, I'm not cheering anything too prematurely here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just absolutely mad. But and the thing is, like everybody knows that in 2019, when Liverpool played Wolves at home, it was the Wolves fans. They were kind of spreading rumours, weren't they? And 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 winding Liverpool fans up, trying to get them to celebrate and think that City were losing or whatever. Um, but this time, I don't, I don't know how that. I don't know how that came about. Like I heard, I heard of some guy. I think again because I did Sky Sports News, and the guy was saying he was sat near a guy who was listening on the radio. So he was basically the guy who was on the who had the radio was basically like passing on info to everyone else about the scores and what was happening and stuff. But you just think like Villa didn't even have a, an attack, did they? At three two, because I remember thinking as soon as City scored, basically as soon as City scored, well, not as soon as because I I was. Yeah, I sent a voice note to Nadim because we were talking. And I was like, fucking hell. But basically, about a minute later, I was like, oh, God, you what have you done? Like, you've scored too early. Like, <laughs> you've, you've defended like fucking idiots all day. Um, 
how are you going to do this? But Villa didn't do anything, did they? And obviously, it wasn't just the time wasting, but the time wasting in the corner. Oh, and De Bruyne winning those free kicks. Unbelievable. Did you notice that? Genuinely lost lost this in my head. I don't remember this at all. It's, well, it's been deleted. Is, so, I mean, how many times have you and, and people listening listen, watched sorry, the, the goals or the highlights since? I've seen it so many times. Good few times, but, yeah. But one thing I've not I've gone back to yet and I've really wanted to, because I've seen, you know, no, not just highlights, but that whole like seven minute period or whatever. I've seen that a few times, all the different camera angles and stuff, basically just trying to recreate it. Cause obviously I couldn't, no, I was sat in the press box, like, just like, okay. With the same emotion on my face that I had when Madrid scored, you know, it was just like, while I'm here in the press box, this thing is happening. I didn't feel a part of it because obviously you, you're not, you're not there as a journalist to be a part of it. And you know, I'm not like a lifelong city fan. So, I mean, I feel sorry for like John and Dom and that because they obviously are lifelong City fans and journalists as well. And I just yeah. think you, sh- you should have been able to go mental. And like, it's just one of those things in this country where it's frowned upon. But at the end of the day, like it kind of does annoy me if like City against Liverpool and there's Liverpool journalists in there celebrating or whatever. So I kind of, I kind of get it, but it would have been good for, for those lads to, to be able to go mental. But yeah, so I was just kind of, it was just happening in front of me and I was like, oh my God, like all internal um, but I've not watched the like the ten fifteen minutes afterwards. I've I've really wanted to watch it because I wanted to see how well they did at time wasting because obviously it was in the other side to me, so I, I I couldn't see all the ins and outs. But yeah, with De Bruyne, it was it was so obvious. Like City, not long balls, but high balls, like looping balls. So De Bruyne was getting himself under them in front of the man waiting for the contact and then falling over. And he did it at least twice in a few minutes, probably in like five minutes, maybe three times. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think there wasn't much else happening in the game for like the exact same thing to happen, it was the same kind of tactics that that City used against Atletico Madrid away. Like, we're just going to kill this game now. It was the same kind of stuff that, that Madrid did in the second leg in extra time. Yeah. At the Bernabeu. It was, and like just the way that De Bruyne, you could see it coming. After he'd done the first one, I was like, well, he's just going to win this free kick now. And then the ref gave it. I was like, this is hilarious. There was like, one There was He's one definitely moment. buying these free kicks and, the, and yeah. the ref's biting on it every time. There was one moment I was a little bit concerned. And we talked uh, briefly, I, I didn't realise this had all happened in the same move, but we talked briefly um, on the uh, reaction podcast uh, about Edison going down. And yes. um, when Ed- Edison went down, and the in the kind of run up to that, City had had two or three throw-ins where um, basically they've been keeping it in the corner, and uh, somebody, De Bruyne or Gundogan or um, Jesus, had had kicked it off a Villa player to go out for um, a corner or a throw-in. And then they take short corner or the throwing and they, they kind of keep it going. Um, but there was one, I don't know if you remember it, where Jesus absolutely wellies it and it hits Foden in the face and goes out for a villa throw. And then Edison goes down, and I'm just thinking, please, no, no, no. Don't set don't have a man who's crocked in goal, who can't stand up properly because he's pulled his hamstring or whatever. Yeah. And we've given them a throw-in and they launch an attack, bang, 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 and then that's how it that's how it ends. Just do something normal for once in your lives. I know. And uh, and they did. So. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny actually. Um, so, a colleague of mine, we were out on on Monday night, the eventful Monday night, um, and they were saying because they were part of a th- three person reporting team, so and they didn't have to write anything. So, 
not not like not not during the game not for the whistle so they could have, they had the luxury to be able to just look around and watch and see yeah and look at things and apparently fernandinho shouted something to edison and then about a minute later he went down he went down injured ah so maybe so, not as injured as we thought yeah exactly um i remember somebody saying afterwards like in the celebrations like somebody said oh edison must be fucked because he's still limping now so maybe he was or he was just really selling it although to be fair, you wouldn't have to sell it at that point, would you? Like you just nah. won the league, you might as well, you might as well go mental, mate. But yeah, it, it's funny that like the idea of Fernandinho shouting to Edison to go down injured is, well, it might it may not be true, but perfectly plausible. But it really annoyed me at the time because I was like, if he is faking, it's just fucking delaying things. Yeah, like just you want to get this game over and done with. You don't want to be adding time on at the end. Me and you with our stopwatches out. <laughs> um, like I said, I've not been able to watch it back, but it does. It did seem like they didn't actually, to be fair to Edison, it worked to treat because they didn't actually add that time on. Did no, they? they didn't. But, but the, the, um, the, the other, really the other point have. on that of, uh, of the stopwatch things, I mean, the, the number of messages I've had from people uh, since Sunday that said, oh, I did that as well. So we're, we're not okay. alone. We're not alone. We're all right. Um, yeah, I've never, I mean, I never did that before in my life, but obviously this time it, <laughs> it, was it important, mattered, didn't it? it? And just <laughs> yeah. the nerves and stuff. And yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, you mentioned the goals. Uh, I did a bit of research uh, this week because I was a bit bored. Um, five minutes, 36 separated all of uh, City's three goals. Uh, of the 25 Bond films, uh, eight of them <laughs> have uh, pre-title sequences that are shorter uh, than that that time limit. So most of them have, uh, you know, the bit before the, the Bond theme kicks in. Yeah. Uh, all of them, um, of the of the 25 films, only eight of them you could watch uh, the pre-title sequence in that time. Uh, From Russia With Love, Casino Royale, Quantum Solace, Live and Let Die, Thunderball, Diamonds Are Forever... Goldfinger and Moonraker just sneaks in at five minutes thirty-two. Well, I wasn't expecting that. So fair there play. we go. Yeah, I, I I like to surprise. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty-four-seven U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. I, I promised some talk on narratives, uh, Sam, uh, oh, because right. uh, so I've got a list here, um, and this is the this is the most I could come up with um, about uh, about Sunday's game. Um, it's, it ended up with City defying most of them. Uh, Gerard doing his old side a favour. Coutinho scoring to help Liverpool win the title. That mm. looked like it might happen and then didn't. Uh, Villa fans' redemption. That. It was yeah. Uh, Villa fans' redemption in seeing Grealish miss out on silverware after after the transfer. Uh, City wasteful after yeah. You you know where I'm going here. Not signing a striker last summer. Yeah. Um, City not having any personality, folding under pressure, um, and City unable to to shake it if they've set the tone badly in the opening ten minutes, um, which they undoubtedly did. And yeah, not they, having leaders again, yeah, same kind of thing. They did turn Same it around. Um, and so basically, what I'm what I'm thinking for for all of this with Guardiola is, um, if you come at the king, you better not miss because uh, he saw the issues and solved them. Yeah. Um, so there was there was a bit of an element of. The, the lineup needing fixing in the first place. 
uh, you know, there's always that thing when people say if managers make like three subs or game changing subs, it's normally because they fucked it up in the first place. There was an element of that. I thought it was weird that Stones played right back. I can't remember if I said this on the time on Sunday. I didn't think that was weird. I was expecting um, Stone centre off for Nandinho right back. If I'm I honest. mean, he just would. I mean, again, look, Guardiola could sit us down and say, "Look, I did it because of this," and would go, "Okay, that makes sense." But it just seems weird to actually get a centre back fit again after the problems you've had, and go, "Actually, we'll put him at right back." Yeah, we'll play two people out of position instead of one yeah, person out exactly. of position. Yeah. Exactly. So that didn't make sense. So obviously, that needed fixing. And fair play to to Guardiola for making that call. Because he never makes half-time subs. And Fernandinho's last appearance for City, it was confirmed as, well, sorry, mate, you've been shy, so you're coming off. But, I mean, he would have known, I'm sure. But fair play to Guardiola for doing that. Um, and then I tweeted at half-time, like, you know, maybe I'm just overreacting because because of the kind of the seriousness of the situation. But I didn't think that Cancelo and Mares having the ball out wide in those spaces was actually working that well. Um, I wasn't, I, I couldn't tell you, well, I don't think I did. I don't think I had a solution in mind, but I, I couldn't say that I had a solution in mind at the time, but I just thought something needs to change there. But obviously that's what Guardiola did, you know, brought on Sterling not long into the second half for Mares to go with the, the right footer on the right-hand side. And obviously that led to the first goal. Um, and yeah, um, bringing on Gundogan for Bernardo obviously did that a 1-0. And at that point, you're thinking, well, bloody hell, what's going on with Grealish? That's another narrative for you that I'd have been having to be talking about all summer and people would have been talking about all summer like Grealish doesn't, doesn't get on. And obviously he still didn't, but the fact they won kind of is more vindication. Yeah. But like in terms of Gundogan's case, it is proper vindication because you can think, why is he bringing on a holding midfielder for Bernardo who was playing like a holding midfielder? And you could think, oh, what, this guy who plays the short passes and dictates cities tempo or whatever like why are you bringing him on when you've got Grealish who cost 100 million pounds and he's a winger and he's explosive and whatever did, did you hear his did you hear his interview with match of the day whose uh, Guardiola sorry yes I did it was very good yeah because he, he basically said well uh, we had the problem with Cancelo on the right hand side be on the left hand side being right footed and not being able to get to the byline so yeah, we brought yeah. Zinchenko on to open it up that side yeah uh, and then we found there was more space in the middle and, and Gundogan's best at arriving in that space at the right time yeah, well, I mentioned that, didn't I? Um, after West Ham, Guardiola yeah. said he thought about bringing Gundogan on um, in that West Ham game, basically because of that. Um, but this, this is what I mean. Like, we could sit there and all people could sit there and think, oh, what he's bringing on to hold him midfield and what the fuck's all that about, especially with this kind of the Grealish elephant in the room. But in terms of yeah, making the right substitutions and doing the right thing, he was basically bringing on Gundogan as, you wouldn't necessarily say a number nine, but to do number nine things. Like I remember, I remember writing after the sport in Lisbon game because I remember City had like I think Grealish was out, Jesus was out, Walker was out, and basically City had like six kids on the bench: Fernandinho, Ake, and maybe Zinchenko and Gundogan on the bench. And I was like, I remember writing that's not a great amount of depth, which could be a problem during the running. And like, if you needed to change a game, you'd have a real problem there. Although Guardiola would probably find a way to get Gundogan in the six-yard box, and that's exactly <laughs> what happened on the last day. Like, just that he was he was effectively bringing him on as a striker, and Gold, golden boot Gundogan from the year before, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what he wanted him there for, and that goes to show it's all these things. And so look, maybe if if Gundogan hadn't scored those goals and City hadn't have turned it around. 
it would have been a shit sub. Or maybe we'd have been talking about it being a shit sub, but the logic, which Guardiola probably would have never explained, because I don't know if people would have asked, you know, if you lose a title like that, I don't know if anybody would have sat in the press conference and gone, uh, what were you doing bringing on Gundogan? <laughs> because, you know, he, he's just going to go mental. He's at the roof, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even though that's the kind of thing I would want to ask, because people would be like, what are you bringing on Gundogan for, dickhead? And I'd be like, well, do you want to answer? You know, do you know what I mean? That kind, it's that, that's why I always ask him these questions. Um, like going back to the crosses a few years ago, like why'd you put so many crosses in? It's like, it's so I can go and write an article and explain to people, please. So, so people stop thinking it's fucking stupid. Um, but yeah, so it would have been easy to say that was a, a bad sub or whatever had, had, you know, the, it, it not gone how, how it had done, but the logic was impeccable. And, and you're right, like the, the subs that he made and I guess the timings as well. Well, maybe not the timings because Villa did go and make it 2-0, but it was great. And just in terms of that making it 2-0 and, and Gundogan being on before that, in the Jonathan Liu article in The Guardian, he kind of said, look, it's almost as if they needed that second goal to be like the dinky passes and like whatever else, like the like limp crosses into the box weren't going to cut it now. They were like, right, we actually need to fucking sort ourselves yeah, out. Take some action. Eh? I thought that was a brilliant way of describing it. Obviously, yeah. he didn't say in copy in the Guardian. We need to fucking sort ourselves out. <laughs> but that's the difference between me and Jonathan Lee, unfortunately. Yeah. Should have done. Um, if West Ham in the penultimate game was the worst forty-five minutes of the season, Sam, then well, Aston Villa was know, the which worst. Were, which one? Because <laughs> the second half, like I said the other day, the defending was just as bad in the second half, but they got away with it. Yeah, so, but, it, but if, if the first half was was the worst forty-five of the season, then Aston Villa was certainly the worst sixty, uh, maybe even seventy. Um, but two games where they needed four points to win the title. In one of them, they fought back from 2-0 down to draw 2-0, and in the other, they fought back from 2-0 from down to win 3-2. Um, there is, ultimately, an incredible fortitude there, in kind of whether it's mental, whether it's the ability yeah. to, to just get yourself out of a hole, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, this was City, this season's City, at their most vulnerable, both mentally, you know, tiredness, it's all going wrong, and um, probably, you know, physically as well with the injuries that they've had. And they've gone, right, no, okay, we'll just pop it up a gear and and, and sort this, and, and like you say, fucking sort it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and like, basically, like I tweeted as well the other day on Monday, it, it does feel like that's the kind of result now because, yeah, I wrote over the weekend, a bit like we were talking about on the podcast last week, you know, after after the Liverpool-Southampton game, we, we did the podcast and I was kind of like, look, I'm not saying it's definitely going to be fine on Sunday, but, you know, there's reasons to kind of be relaxed about it. And, and I wrote, I went on to write that, you know, I know typical City is a thing. And I'm not saying it isn't because everybody who supports City understands it more than I do, or at least, you know, those who have been around it for 20 plus years. Um, they know it's a thing, but I was ultimately City are getting the job done, and it was only only really 2012, which was obviously 10 years ago, which was a typical City way of of getting it done. Like, obviously, t- even 2014 under Pellegrini did really well to come back, like just look, just so strong powering through the field and then doing the job comfortably on the last day. The, the, final, then, the final two wins, again, Villa in the midweek was their game in hand on Liverpool. It was it was nervy, but by the end it was a comfortable win. Yeah, it was and, like 4-0, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and then the final day was just a solid, t- it was against West Ham, solid 2-0. Um, yeah, that, and, and that's they, kind of what I was expecting against Villa, so obviously yeah. wrong. Um, and then obviously the way Guardiola's teams have done it, they've obviously won it at a canter, or the Brighton game, okay, they went a goal down, but equalised within a minute, like what were you worried about kind of thing, like 
no problem. So I was like, slowly but surely. And typical city isn't going to go away because it's the feeling of the fans and it will be around. And it's always but, there when you least expect it. It kind I find. of changed. I was like, I, I do feel like the narrative's kind of changing, and City are just getting the job done now in a more kind of efficient way, and that's changing. And obviously, that's went fucking completely out the window on Sunday <laughs> because typical City. That you know, that's the dictionary definition of it, really, um, in terms of victories, anyway. So it's still there. But what it does do, I think now. Um, Maybe next time this happens, there'll be more people in the stadium. May not not saying fifty percent or sixty percent or even forty percent, but next time this happens, I'm sure there'll be more people in the Etihad going, "Well, we can do this because we've done it before, and it wasn't a one-off." You know, ninety-three twenty wasn't a one-off, and now you can start to think the playoff final, even though it was a long time ago, wasn't a one-off. You start to think this is the culture of the club now, and like people on the outside who maybe don't pay attention to it in such a way, start to think, well, like you can imagine it in the co-commentator's chuckle kind of thing. If City ever go 2-0 down again, you'd be like, oh, well, you know, they know they can come back from this. And all of a sudden, City get a, get a goal back and the opposition are like, fucking hell, it's City, we're playing it. Yeah, they, like, they they're, back they're going like to do this. it. The yeah. players start to believe it. The fans are like, come on. It's, it's starting to change, I'm telling you. Like that result on Sunday, was huge for that it didn't just deliver a title but i think it it might change the the way that city play and the way that city win and the way that city regarded in years to come and you know when i talk about real madrid and their magic and you know real madrid is real madrid and we talk about liverpool uh and the cop and, and their comebacks in the european nights and when i was talking about this to somebody on monday they were like and fergie time as well it's a self-fulfilling prophecy everybody starts to believe it and i do think now that City didn't just get a title out of that, but they've got, I don't know, some kind of, they want, they want, it's, it's a big step or maybe a small step, but it's a step towards the kind of Real Madrid, Liverpool, Man United, we're never beaten dynamic. Um, I, look, I don't know how that chimes with the usual City performances when we know that they're not playing well. Um, and, and and normally the game peters out, but I do I do think it it starts to change, and I do think that's another. Yeah, I, I do think people on the outside, like commentators and stuff, will start to talk about City in a different way. That oh well, you know they're never beaten, are they? Because of, of all the things that people have said about this City team, they've never said they don't know when they're beaten or anything like that. Yeah, uh, I think now it, it's gonna it's gonna start going down that road, which yeah. is huge. Because if you start if you start adding that to the to the DNA of a club, then it's fucking this next level. Something that kind of sparks as you as you said that, because um, I mean, it's kind of what I was driving at in the in the in the first bit about the the West Ham and Aston Villa games and the comebacks. Um, for a long time, like we all we've we've said for for ages, City City can City not necessarily concede the first goal and then don't recover. It's when they it's when they set the tone and start badly and don't recover. And they've now done that in in, in back to back games. And I'm starting to wonder if that is beginning to change as well. Just I mean, I, I know a sample size of two is absolutely tiny in the grand scheme of things, but the there's so many times where you get that feeling in the first. 15 minutes where City are just not really playing that well and then they fall behind and that's the that's the problematic game it's not the one where they where they're playing all right but then they fall behind and then you go okay well you you restart there's plenty of examples of Guardiola City conceding the first goal and going on to win the game it's not about who scores when it's about the style and the performance that they're, that they're putting in and 
that uh, they've turned it around in in these in these two games against West Ham and and, and Aston Villa. And I mean, you can talk about a mad five minutes for those goals. Um, 76, 78, 81 in the end um, is is a. I mean, it's the quickest three goals that City have scored under Guardiola. Um, the, the the closest that you get to that is in a is in an eight nil win over Watford, and it's that like it's the only time I can remember City doing that from two nil down. If you know what I mean, from from mm. two goals down, needing needing three goals in such quick succession to get back in front. Most of the time they're in a good moment. They did it um, under Pellegrini against Newcastle where they scored three in four minutes, um, but they were already I think two one up at that stage. They were they were already dominating the game. The yeah. the other the other really quick one I mentioned it to to Nadem on on Monday night was um, City away at Burnley in two thousand and ten. They won six one, and the opening seven yeah. minutes they were three 0 up after seven minutes. It was Adebayor four minutes, Bellamy five minutes, Tevez seven minutes. Bang bang mm. bang. They they don't do it from a position of being of trailing 2-0 and having played yeah, badly yeah. they just do and it when they're in a good flow yeah and, and like cuz i was looking when i was looking at those you know the 7 minutes around the goals i was looking i was like is there a, is there anything that villa could have done in the way that I, you know guardiola was like there was no time for city to to react against madrid there was no time to feign injury or go to the corner it just happened so quickly and like it you know olsen maybe took a like, booted the ball down the pitch too quickly black edison did um, that's about it. There was, you know, there was nothing else that Villa could have done. Really, it was just relentless. Um, and, you know, City had a corner at one all that I think Stones kind of headed down and Olsen saved quite easily. Um, Rodri at two all, he managed to get in the box and had that shot. They kind of tried to chest down and an angle towards the top corner from the other side of the box and went harmlessly over, like. Somebody worked out when you did the maths and then went down the the James Bond route, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> um, and there was a there was a tweet the other day that the ball was only in play for like two minutes fifty or something. And like of those two minutes fifty, as well as the three goals, you know, like say City got a corner and had another shot. It was just pure momentum, and it was you know the the crowd and the atmosphere and the noise and and all of it. Yeah, you're right. Like of all the times the City have maybe scored three goals in a short space of time, never like that. Never like that, and yeah, that's that's something that will will mean a lot for the history of the club. I'm sure. Yeah. Another Bond thing that I uh, that I forgot. Uh, you could watch the play between all three of City's goals on Sunday four times uh, before the Billy Eilish song uh, in No Time to Die. That's how long the start of that film was. So uh, right. So there you go. Um, just <laughs> uh, want to talk about some uh, individuals to finish, Sam, because uh, we've touched on Fernandinho and. Um, uh, and, and that first half, but we've got to talk about the farewell as well because, like, ultimately, it's it's the end of. I mean, he he is for me the best Brazilian that the that the Premier League has seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I don't think that's controversial. Um, you know, there may have been more talented forwards, and we always tend to rate forwards more highly than especially Brazilian forwards, holding yeah. midfielders. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, in terms of like integral players to successful teams, um, like Gilberto was good for Arsenal, but you know they never won this many, and they never they they never defended the trophy and and that kind of thing. So I thought like, it was Fabinho interesting. Was good for Liverpool, yeah, but, I, th- I yeah. thought it was interesting what Fernandinho said about feeling like he had to come to England and, and prove that he wasn't just another one of these South Americans that was going to come in, get paid a lot, and not really do much. That I thought that it's was funny. interesting. I didn't know he said that because I couldn't hear brilliantly in the stadium. 
and I was trying to write an article and do the whole thing justice. Um, so I kind of missed the the farewell. Um, but I, I've, I've got to write an article about Fernandinho, and that's a, a big job. But I read an interview that he did with a Man City fan page in 2015, and they said that you know they they interviewed him 18 months earlier, so obviously just when he signed, and they said, "Oh, you wanted to change the perception." Of Brazilian players, I think maybe just for City, because maybe they're thinking about Rubinho and Alano or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, "That's interesting." So I, I I DM'd the guys on on Instagram. They've not got back to me yet. Slash, not seen it. Slash, don't care. I, but I was like, "Have you got that 2013 interview when he said that?" Because yeah, I thought that was a really interesting thing, and I didn't know he'd said that on Sunday. But that's interesting. That's obviously been part of his thing at City. He obviously was coming in thinking, okay, well, then we must have a bit of a flaky um, reputation. reputation yeah. So, so I'm going to, so I'm going to change that. And like, clearly, he has. And yeah, just in terms of summing up Fernandinho, it's, I suppose, it may be rather than the nine seasons he has had, you start to think about the one that you have without him, because you, you think ahead to next season with Haaland coming in, it's almost like. You could take for granted the City are going to batter it next season. You know, there's a very good chance that they will. But you think, oh, with Haaland coming in, it's almost guaranteed to be a success. Is there anything that could hold them back? And you just think, without Fernandinho around, given he's so important in the dressing room, for reasons that we kind of explored last year when they won the the trophy, and that's obviously carried on, you know, so kind of beloved and so important and such a leader. You do think if that's going to be a similar thing to when company... So when company went, um, I do think they'll shake up the squad enough in terms of Haaland being there. So it won't be an issue. But the point I'm trying to make is he's that integral and that important, Fernandinho, that they will miss him because it'll be impossible not to. And yeah, coming in nine years ago and thinking, oh, you know, I hope they just don't think I'm another Brazilian is a bit flaky. Like, yeah, the absolute opposite of that. And like you said, the best Brazilian in the Premier League. I think that's that's for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, and in Rodri as well, they've got somebody who, um, I mean, he's he has, he has really, really turned, well, I mean, he's turned his ship around from, from where he was sailing in that, in that first season when he, when he found himself overwhelmed with, with counterattacks pretty much mm. every week, uh, to now being, I mean, he's imperious at the minute, isn't he? Yeah, um, like we like you said, like obviously Gundogan would get the man of the match because of how you know scoring two goals and being the match winner, fine. Uh, but I thought the best performer over the ninety minutes was Rodri. Then the article I had to do um, City's Player of the Season. I didn't realise it was published this morning, so I, I've I tweeted that just before we started this podcast about one o'clock. Um, so I I went with Rodri for Player of the Season in much the same way against Villa at the weekend, just consistency throughout. Like De Bruyne was the most. Um, influential, you'd maybe say the biggest difference maker in the second half of the season, and I've done an article on on that basically, which is going to be out on Thursday evening. Um, so you can have a look at that. That's the kind of a a big title related read that I've done. That's been ready for a while. So yeah, Thursday evening for that. But Rodri over the course of the season, um, it's phenomenal. And I picked out two stats to try to highlight it because I think everybody can appreciate the the job that he's done and how comfortable he's looked and how much better he is at winning the ball back. So one of the stats, I saw it on Twitter to be fair, but then I went and you know got the, the final tally and put it into some context. 
Um, in terms of possession won for their team, he's won possession back more than anybody else in the Premier League this season, which is absolutely remarkable because everyone else in the top 10, and it was it was like top 13 until you got to Trent Alexander-Arnold, but it was all players like Jao Moutinho, Salisu, Stuart Armstrong, yeah. um, Hoiberg, you know, teams that are, are losing the ball often and having to win it back. Whereas obviously City have the ball the most, and I checked the stats. City obviously lost possession the fewest times in the Premier League. So they've had more of the ball. They lose it the fewest times. And yet they've still got somebody who's winning it back more than all these teams who lose the ball, win it back, lose the ball, win it back. You've got dedicated tacklers in there to win it back for teams that are turning it over left, right, and center. And yet Rodri's the one. So it goes to show that on the few occasions that City lose it, normally it has to be Rodri who does it. And for him to do it, you know, that was kind of the issue in 2019-20, really. You know, he wasn't equipped to do that. You know, there was times when he, he needed to be the one to win the ball back, but couldn't. But he there's so much pressure on him in the sense that when City lose it, he needs to get it back. And he does it so often. Like, his positioning is great. His anticipation is great. Um, you talk about his body work as and, well on, on Sunday. Yeah, well, and that, that's it. You know, I was saying about how you think he's kind of boxed in by opposition players and he's kind of opens his shoulders up in his hips and he goes the other way and all of a sudden he's he's in loads of space. So the other stat I picked out was he's, he's played the most passes under pressure this season and it's about 120 more than second place. It's just everything he does has to be spot on. He has to win the ball back for City. He has to get the ball under pressure and he's, he's thriving in that. It can be hard to, to spot the importance of a holding midfielder but I think if you kind of you, those two stats I'm sure I could have done more but I thought those two were kind of simple and it didn't mean I had to go too data about it it's just with the ball and without it he's been absolutely superb this season and the pressure has really been on and he's had to play so many games as well because as we know Fernandinho um, you know doesn't isn't really up to it for Premier League standard anymore so yeah a remarkable season from Rodri yeah, final player I want to to mention, Sam, and we can't not mention him given uh, the week he's had is uh, Jack Grealish. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, there's there's not lots of stuff that we need to add. If anyone's listened to this podcast a lot, you know, you know where we stand. Um, yeah, him ne- him not getting on was certainly interesting, um, but again, you know, like you said. Guardiola's interview with Matt today, which was really good. It was like as soon as Lineker asked him that tactical question, he just went right tactics mode, and it was great. I, I also like, wondered yeah. if Guardiola had a drink by that point as well. Was just like right, I am really going to go like just spilling everything yeah, I've yeah, got here. Possibly, <laughs> but, but that's the thing. There were so many reasons why, like he obviously wanted to open it up on the right and change Maris, so it had to be Sterling because okay, Grealish is right footed, but he doesn't play on the right wing, so Sterling knows how to do it. He's been good there. People want to see him do it more, so it made sense. Um, Gundogan, we know, we know, made those runs got the sense to arrive in the box at the right time did it perfectly and obviously Grealish was never going to come on for Fernandinho so like I, I can't remember if I said this before but before the game I was thinking I know the Guardiola picks it picks his teams based on the characteristics of what he needs for the game but surely Grealish will play because of the Villa factor and presumably he's been up for it in training and you know he, he played well at Villa uh, at West Ham last week so he probably will play but obviously it wasn't that Needed Foden because, you know, you, you can't really drop Foden. Um, needed Jesus to be the number nine to push 
the opposition fullbacks back and try and create that space in the midfield for in the midfield for De Bruyne and that. And obviously, Mara is played on the right because at the end of the day, once you get to pick in the right winger, it doesn't matter if Grealish is there or not um, because he doesn't play on the right. So yeah, it was just Guardiola thinking, well, I'm going to pick the team that I think is right. Ultimately, it wasn't right, but the changes he made meant, you know, putting it right had to come from other other sources. Um, So yeah, I said I didn't want to speak too much about Grealish. I kind of did about the situation of him not playing Sunday, but I think next season he'll be be much better. I think there's been a lot of stats. We did an article on The Athletic saying that stats-wise, you know, he's still performing quite well. Um, we know it's not the kind of first season that a lot of people were expecting, but also it's no surprise. It doesn't matter how much it costs; it, it matters how long it takes to adapt to Guardiola's demands. And not a single attacking player has been able to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fully expect him to be good second season. And yeah, we sort of the parade and stuff. I was going to say, do we know um, if he got Jaeger bombs in for everybody in Albertsloss or? Uh... Did he not? Uh, well, <laughs> by the, in my brief time at the party, I didn't see him, and I wondered if he'd if he'd peaked too soon by that. Point. I don't think he went to bed on Sunday night and then powered straight through on the Monday. <laughs> so fair play, but yeah, in my my brief spell inside the party, I didn't. I don't remember seeing him. Oh no, I, no, he was there. He was there. Um, so fair play to him. That's admirable stamina. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Obviously, I tweeted on Monday night that I got chucked out of the party, which was the one the one part of the episode that I regret. You know, I shouldn't have... Um, yeah, the tweet was, I was just a bit annoyed. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, in hind- like in hindsight, um, probably wasn't the best idea to go. But I genuinely thought, so Nadam invited me um, on Monday night at the, at the podcast. He was like, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, all right. Um, but it's, and obviously in hindsight, because it, it just so much caused so much trouble, it wasn't worth it. But the thing is, I know broadly how these parties work. And it's, even though it's for staff and they're all, they all go together. Normally, the players are very separate. 
and like all the others you know the everyone who works at the training ground that isn't involved in the first team is not normally getting near them and you know i don't think they're allowed to ask for pictures maybe some do and it's fine but i think the general idea is don't bother the players so i was thinking well if i end up in this environment and i see somebody from the press office or whatever i'll just be like yeah a bit awkward this isn't it but look i'm not here to i'm not going to i don't plan on speaking to any of the players i you know i'm I, i'm not looking for anything like that if let's say for argument's sake i see two players having a fight i won't do anything about it because i realize i'm here um kind of in a non-journalistic capacity so like don't worry about it like you can take my phone if you want like and if i see anything or hear anything because i think some some guys who work in the comms department listen to the podcast anyway because they're city fans so it's like i'm not going to hint about it on podcasts i'm not going to put it in q a's you're not going to see it on aggregators. You're not going to see it on articles. Like I'm just, I'm here with Nadum. That's it. Um, so I was thinking, yeah, like I'll, I'll probably be in this, this separate bit. Anyway, a minute later, after getting in, I'm in the VIP bit, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, there's Carl Walker. That's Ruben Diaz. That's all the staff. Oh, there's with his family. Um, so I was like, oh fucking hell. Um, yeah, and yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Because obviously, like, in the end, this is kind of my experience of, of me being a tit rather than the things that I saw. And like, there was nothing really going on um, that would be interesting anyway. But the kind of, the again, talking about hindsight and, like, from, people's other, from other people's perspectives, this must look and will now sound terrible when I say this. But so there was two... There was, there was like sofas opposite each other with a table in the middle. So that usual kind of setup. Um, so I followed Nadam up. Nadam went and said hello to Shea Given. Now I'd seen Shea Given on Monday morning because I did Premier League at 5 to 11 and he'd done Premier League at like 5 past 10. So judging by the bag he had in his hand, I think he went to the club shop, bought the shirt, came back. We just finished up being on air so i was like said hello shook his hand and all that we had a bit of a laugh you know will perry was there so he's, he's obviously well in with with the former players like that um so I had a bit of a laugh and then so nadam went over to see shay given and i was like oh well i saw him this morning so i'll, I'll come and say hello and then with you know, the usual kind of pleasantries and then i was kind of just like stood at the the, at the edge of this table just like milling about kind of minding my own business but also like i don't know anyone here and obviously the players i do know of i don't i can't really go and say hello or get involved or anything i need to kind of keep my head down and like nigel de jong came over i think he said hello to shea given and like nadam said and he was really friendly with nadam but he looked at me and then looked away immediately as if it was like this guy is nothing to me so i was like i'm not gonna i don't i'm not even gonna kind of say hello to him i'm just kind of keep my head down and on the other sofa opposite Shea Given was Shea Given's son who must be like 17 so I so I was speaking to him like oh, you know, are you in football or whatever he was like, oh, I was going to have some trials blah, 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 doing the A-levels so I was like I'm just going to sit next to you but Guardiola was perched on the back of the sofa so this looked <laughs> fucking terrible like obviously it looks like I've just gone and like just sat as close to Guardiola as possible and obviously I, ha- I have done that but I was thinking socially the only person that's really near my level in this party and obviously he's above me because he's actually allowed to fucking stay is Shea Given's like 17 year old son because he doesn't really know anyone either but at least he's got his old man there 
but I was like, I don't know anyone. I'm not really allowed to know anyone, and I don't want to go and speak to people anyway. And Nadim's off doing his thing, which is absolutely fine. So I was like, I'm just going to kind of sit here and keep my head down. And then one of the security guys I know from City, you know, checks the bags every week, so we speak and we have a laugh and whatever. He was like, he came over, and and this is the other thing. Did I did I mention to you at any point? I've I've had a blocked ear since Friday, so I can't really hear it out of my right ear. So at the podcast the other night, the excuses are stacking up I, here though now. So. But it's made, but it's all it's genuinely true. <laughs> like I've, people will know this. Like like the amount of people I've spoken to, and I've had to kind of reposition over the last week because I can't hear them out of my right ear. So I couldn't really hear because it was noisy, even if I. I'd vowed never to say it. I couldn't actually hear anyway. But then, yeah, the security guard turned up and he had a smile on his face. And I don't know what he said, but one of the things was, I think it was along the lines of, what are you doing here? You can't stay here. And I hoped, I thought with maybe 5% of me thought he was joking and maybe 95% of me hoped that he was joking. Because I was like, well, look, I know it's a bit of an awkward one, this, but I don't want to be chucked out. But he was like, come on, you can't stay. I was like, oh, fucking hell, all right. But then, like, somebody from the city comms team was like, can we have a word downstairs? And I was like, well, look, this isn't going well, is it? Like, there's no word to be had. But to be fair to the security guard, he was like, do you want to come out the back way here? Rather than, like, walk back through everyone, it was like, there's this curtain. I was like, come down here. Obviously, it wasn't, like, led out by the arm or whatever. So, like, if I'd have been somebody else, like, that didn't know me, I might have had, I might have been in a real fucking tricky position there. I might have been, like, dragged out of the party. I would have been, like, can't show your face around city ever again like out of embarrassment but yeah then like but naden was like i'll come with you and downstairs i'm pretty sure naden was like i'll just stay down here with you i was like mate you don't understand i'm not stay. i'm not allowed to stay at this party <laughs> and i was like I, I didn't want to have any further conversations it was like just, you know it's it's it, like embarrassing to be thrown out of anywhere isn't it you don't you don't want that and i know from experience of seeing other things like like that develop the more you go and crowd around or you know the more conversation there is the longer it goes on the more it becomes a dispute the more it looks like so i was just like i just need to get out of here kind of thing um and yeah that was that really eventful um, uh, eventful was, monday but yeah but i mean it must i don't know it was less than 10, it must have been less than 10 minutes um but yeah and that was the thing with nadam he was obviously thinking oh well like it'd be right down here but obviously he was thinking well I'm not. I'm. I don't think of Sam as I'm bringing a journalist into this thing. It was I'm bringing him in as like as a friend. Yeah, uh, it's not. It's not going to be an issue. But I was like, I can't remember if we said this before. But I was like, there will be people there who don't want me to be there. Um, again, in hindsight, I probably should have realised that <laughs> that will probably be the bottom line. But I did actually <laughs> think. I did actually think there would be a chance to have a conversation before the decision was made. Whereas this time, the way it panned out was, you know, the decision's been made. You need to fuck off let's talk about it. But by that point, I was like, we don't really need to talk, do we? Like, we all know the situation. Let's get out of here. So then I messaged Jack and I was like, are you still over the road from where the podcast was done? He was like, yeah, I was like, right, I'm coming back. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was fun. But I mean, the parade was, the parade was hilarious fun. Um, I, I can't, I almost wish I'd wrote an article, like a color article because there was, it was just color central. It was just a million words of color, like all the jokes and cigars and, vodka cokes and whatever and all that you know city staff having to come on after the players and clean away empty glasses from the stage like <laughs> just that it was it was scott carson was, don't forget scott carson well scott carson did the clop fist pumps on the stage i don't think there was a live stream of the stage i don't know if that's because the club thought 
we don't maybe we maybe don't want this going viral or whatever you know maybe there'll be a few choice sentences or whatever but scott scott carson came out kind of i think he he was struggling to speak not generally but at that moment i think he couldn't really say what he wanted to do and then he went across the stage doing you know when liverpool win and Klopp goes up to the either the away fans or the cop and does the you know punch in three times and the fans are like wee wee like Carson did that on the stage, fucking them with his, with was, his full pint. Yeah, I think I, no, I think he gave the pint to somebody else so he could give it the full welly. <laughs> um, yeah, loads loads of loads of stuff like that. Um, yeah, the, the the parade was great. Um, I mean, I don't I don't I don't know about I don't know about the party, but fair play seemed like seemed like some people had a. A good night, and again, yeah. like as the, as the players are concerned, obviously, I'm sure that they, they would much, much, much rather be in Paris for the Champions League final. But given the situation of how that happened and the lows, and coming back knowing that they had four games to go and get the job done, and the way that they got the job done, they'll be happy enough with that. They'll be like fucking no wonder, no wonder some of them didn't go to bed on on Sunday night and carried all the way through to Monday, like. John Stones was the right state. It was an English. It was the English lad. Somebody asked me asked today. Were like, "How was Rodri?" Because I saw an interview he did at the start of the parade or something. He looked a bit worse for wear. I was like, "The thing with Rodri is, he's he's from Europe. He's sensible. He would have eaten." I was like, "Whereas the English lads will just be English <laughs> and just don't eat and just get as leathered as possible and think it's hilarious because that's what we do." And that's that was the case. But I mean, absolutely. However, they celebrated it. Cannot fault them. Because, like I say, all that pressure after the Madrid game, the lows of that to the highs of Sunday, and no more City games this season. Yeah, absolutely yeah. fair play to them. Absolutely, what a celebration! Wild. Yeah, um, that brings us to the end of this week's Why Are We Us? <laughs> um, Sam, we are uh, we're not stopping during the summer, are we? But we will uh, we will be taking a, a little bit of a break. Um, we'll we'll basically be around if there's big news, won't we? <laughs> yeah, and no, I think I'll be doing something every week, but we're back from like the fourteenth of. June or summer. So yeah, it's, only it's not. Weeks. Yeah, it's only a couple of weeks when we, when we'll start to to kind of pick up the um, pace again. But it's we'll, yeah, we'll kind I mean, of if anything if anything big happens, we will uh, we will kind of hop on the mics. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the signings and stuff, you know, Harlan's obviously the the biggest one. Um, people have seen Calvin Phillips. Don't need me to confirm that because of where it's come from. But yeah, Calvin Phillips seems to be the main fella. Um, and Kukurea, obviously, the left back, seems to be a good option as well. You know that. That seems to be where it's at. Um, I, I wonder if Gundogan's more likely to stay now because of how Sunday panned out. I don't know. Um, few murmurings of Zinchenko going. I would strongly disagree with that. And in the past, he's refused to go anyway, like at least twice. So maybe he refuses to go again. And to be fair, I think he's a, he's a really good player for City. Um, I'm going to say this now. I'm not a million percent convinced it's get well. I'm certainly not convinced it's going to happen. But Gavi at Barca. He's in contract talks, and he's. I think everyone at Barca expects he will sign it, but there's a few games going on, and there's a bit of a delay. I do think City are keeping an eye on that. I always had the hunch that Pogba, because obviously City, are, well, in fact, it's been reported now, hasn't it? I, I, I was able to say the City had offered Pogba a contract. You know, Paul and Hursty have said that he he accepted that contract, but then changed his mind. So that obviously puts City in a bit of a hole. I, I was always of the opinion, and I must say opinion rather than information, that they would try and get Pogba for free and then sign somebody else as a midfielder to kind of cover for Fernandinho and Gundogan. Um, and obviously now if Pogba's not coming, I wonder if it'll be Calvin Phillips, and I wonder if Gavi, as a the opportunistic signing of City, 
you know, contract situation if he's going to leave. But like I say, I really don't expect it to happen, not least because politically it's all very sensitive, isn't it? You know, Gavi is one of the most highly rated Barca youngsters ever. And for City to go and take him from Laporta, you know, the the relationship's good again now Laporta's there. So I'm not not saying it's going to happen, but it's something I'm keeping an eye on because yeah. I, I think it's one of those opportunistic signings where City have got leverage because normally it's either buyout clause or financial problems and obviously Barca have got financial problems and if he doesn't sign the contract then it does start to become the kind of city this is the kind of signing City would make and the buyout cl- I think it's I don't know what his buyout clause is actually but obviously he will have one because he plays for Barca and he's only is he 17 so it's not going to be huge yeah um so we'll we'll, not, we'll reconvene. I think when we it, but... yeah when when uh, the summer's kind of in full flow and we've got a little bit more to work with, we'll uh, we'll kind of reconvene. Do some yeah, I thought that'd be quick, stuff, but I then think, I ended yeah. up doing all the caveats <laughs> to make sure people don't expect it actually happening. So I'm yeah. sure we'll go back and lop twenty minutes out of the start when we were talking about how brilliant Liverpool are. <laughs> we'll focus on the fun stuff at the end. Yeah, uh, thanks as ever to Sadly. Yeah, thanks very much, mate. Thanks everyone for listening, um, and yeah, we'll be back before you know it. Yeah, don't forget you can sign up to The Athletic right now for £1 a month for six months. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. The Athletic.